Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis, Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. This is a podcast with Celeste and Nina, where we talk with educators, organizers, students, parents, and all stakeholders in the education of our young people. We're here to push ourselves to take theories and put them into practice in our classrooms, even and especially when it gets messy. Also, we're full-time educators, not professional podcasters. We're recording these conversations during the socially distanced pandemic, often on weeknights and from our respective homes. So expect background noise and fatigue and real unpolished human complexities showing up in these conversations. We're here to transform ourselves and our listeners through dialogues. So come along for the ride with us. talking with Jessica Suarez Nieto, an elementary teacher in Chicago. You hear her challenge us to think about our work in a more collective sense, building strong relationships with our students and between our students. Jessica is wise and has sharp ideas of how to pose problems to our students so they address social ills and think about how to build a different world together. Jessica challenges us to think about how to transform schools to be safe places to foster student agency and collectivized learning. Take a listen. Here we are. Um, welcome, Jessica. Hi, Nina. Um, Hi. We are here for an episode of Pushing Praxis. Um, <laughs> yes, and, yes. <laughs> um, and how are you both doing tonight? I'm doing good. Yeah. So, Nina, you're doing well. How are you doing, Jessica? I am surviving. Surviving. Yeah. Um, It is a Tuesday night in early December, so we are surviving. Yes, Um, yes, yes. The pandemic. Oh, my God. This is like, it's hard. It's hard. I'm trying every day to, like, stay positive, um, teaching during this time. It's, it's, It's really hard, but... You know, I feel like whenever I do get down and out, um, students or my colleagues do something to uplift my spirits. So it's been um, pretty uh, stressful. But like I said, I've been really depending on, you know, my friendships with yes. other other people to try to totally. make it through it. So. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yep. That's how we none of us is going through this alone, nor could we if we tried. Um uh, we're so excited to have Jessica Suarez with us um, to have a rich and interesting conversation because the other thing that hopefully will keep us going as teachers is conversations like these that help orient us to who we are and what we want to be doing as teachers um, for ourselves, for our teaching community, and for our students. Um, so we're really excited to learn with Jessica tonight. Um, and Jessica, maybe what we could start doing is just have you introduce yourself as you want to be known to people listening to this. Um, and you can orient yourself as a teacher, as a full human being outside of the classroom. <laughs> so how would you like to be known by, by people listening to this? Uh, thank you. So I am Jessica Suarez Nieto. Um, I am a teacher and a fighter in the struggle for um justice, racial justice and economic justice here in Chicago and across the world, I would argue. Um, So that's what I'll leave it at. I also teach um, middle school math and have taught history as well. Um, So I am excited to be here. So thank you both for having me here. We're so excited to have you. All right. So um, where do you teach? 
Um, so I teach um, in the neighborhood and back of the yards um, at uh, elementary school. Okay, and then can you tell us like more about like the student population uh, at your school? Yeah, so the student population at my school is majority um, Latinx um, and a few students um, who are African-American and a small white population. Okay. And for, for people who aren't from Chicago too, could you say a little bit about what, what Back of the Yards is as a community? Yeah, so Back of the Yards is a majority um, Latinx community, right, of working class folks. Um, definitely a community that the city does not invest a lot in. Um, so there's definitely a lot, a lot of struggles educationally in getting our kids resources. Um, but nonetheless, a very loving and hardworking um, community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, and so um, you mentioned um, not a lot of resources. Would you say your your school is like a well-funded school or an underfunded school? So. I would say like many schools that are black and brown, um, we are definitely underfunded. Um, and it's something that obviously folks and organizations across the city have continued to push um, for budgets that are equitable for our kids. Um, particularly when looking at like schools in the north side, right, that get more funding and schools on the south or southwest side that lack funding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we totally understand that. Depending on the type of school, the, the neighborhood in Chicago, mm -hmm. that definitely dictates the type of funding um, your school is going to get. Uh, and even the parent dynamic um, that takes place uh, in the school is definitely... Uh, something that adds to it too. So uh, we we definitely uh, feel you on that. And so um, so we're gonna kind of dig into your teaching a little bit. And so mm -hmm. who who or what um, influences your teaching? Like you know what scholars, uh, research, you know community leaders, pedagogies. What would you say you know influences uh, your teaching? Um, I would argue that at least when I started first teaching like seven years ago, it was um, grounded a lot on like what I had studied, which was Freire, right? Um, like thinking about liberatory education. Um, but throughout the years, I think I have developed a better, sharper understanding of what does it mean to teach, right? Um, and a lot of the influences have also come from like an anti-capitalist, anti-imperialist um, lens, right? And trying to understand what does it mean for us to teach like liberatory education, right? And what is our role um, that it goes definitely beyond like academics or academia or achieving like a so-called college ready I think we have to think about like how are we developing um, students right and working with communities to develop um, the education that we seek um, to be liberatory um, in such communities and not oppressive mm. oh, go ahead. can I, can I ask it <laughs> like, yeah. I like really want to unpack a little bit about what you just said because it's um, I so I have a couple questions. You you said that you kind of started at Freire, and for people who might not know what that means, can you explain what that means to have started with the work of Paulo Freire and to have gotten into like you said a, a I think you said something along the lines of like a sharper idea of what it means to have liberatory education. Like where what does that mean? Where did you start, and how did that evolve for you? 
Yeah, so I guess I would start, I think, as an undergrad student, um, one of the things that I I was part or influenced largely was the closings of the schools, right? Like, I became active in trying to organize against that, whether it was protests and marches, and then also understanding the charter movement, right, and fighting against, like, opening more charter schools, um, looking at, like, the relationship between, like, charter schools in black and brown communities. That was the goal, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So really Mm -hmm. thinking about Paulo Freire in the sense of like in the classroom space being um, dialectical of rethinking not a banking method of education, but rather something Mm. that allows for teacher and students to co-create learning and meaning, right? And understanding of what's happening in the world, right? And how do we change it? Or he talked about it as like reading and writing the world. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think that's where... It, it started my thinking of like, okay, if I'm going to be a teacher, right, no matter whether I teach history or math, how can I use those tools to allow my students to better understand the world they live in? And then also mm-hmm. say, how do we use those tools to transform them? Okay. And so just, beautiful. Yeah. And so, so thinking about that, um, Jessica, so that people can kind of understand, um, can you tell me like what it would be like um, if I walked into your class and you were like doing a lesson um uh and you know how you teach like what what would i kind of see um and you can use like a a quick example you don't have to get too deep but just to kind of get us like a feel for like uh how you would like teach something to students in this in this manner so that people can have like an idea about what that kind of looks like in in the classroom Mm Yeah, so I guess I can talk about the math experience that I had in teaching social justice. So we can start from like a larger topic of conversation, like analyzing or looking at like the stop and frisk policy in New York, right? Um, And talking about like the disparity of people of color being stopped or looking at men, majority men who have been stopped, like majority black and brown um, men being stopped by that policy. And then using concepts like ratio and unit rate, right, and percentage um, to be able to um, understand mathematically what that means, right? So students would be able to see that Mm. a whole set of like a whole grade level in a city of Chicago would be the equivalent of how much the police would stop black and brown people, right, either per Mm. hour, per day, etc. And then we would apply it right in the local context. Like for example, when they were the city was trying to pass the $95 million um, dollar mm. budget, right? And we tried to say, well, if we wanna find the unit rate of how many schools we can open with that amount of money or how many park districts or how many mm. mental, um, mental clinics, right? Mental health clinics we can open. We can say like, we can actually redirect that funding instead of promoting police, right? Which our communities don't need. Um, and provide other services that our communities desperately need, like mental health clinics or more parks, more green space, right? And you're talking about the $95 million police academy that the mayor wanted. Yeah, so for people who Mm -hmm. were in Chicago, that was um, an effort that was trying to open an academy for police and on the west side in a community where I think they had closed three public schools um, in the previous uh, decade, and then they were going to open a $95 million economy for, sorry, academy for police when police get, um, I think it's about four out of every $10 of the city's budget at this point. Um, So just for some context, that's, that's how you were approaching like math and ratios for your students to be able to see it reflected in their communities. Yes. 
And so how, how do your students um, and the parents and the and administrators, how do they respond to your teaching in this manner? How do they respond to it? I think I think overall students have been definitely um, excited about learning, right? Like in one of the practices when it came to math, um, we were able to have like um, political discussions in circles, right? It would be the circle mm-hmm. times where we would ask questions and have wonderings and then try to use each other's knowledge to say like, how do we answer that? So I know that was something that students look forward like every Friday, right? Um, And I would argue many parents, like when we had a chance to go more in depth about what their students were learning, or they would say like, my kid comes home talking about this stuff, and then it turns into like a whole discussion, and it started all because of a math conversation, right? So I think overall parents and the majority have been definitely welcoming in this type of teaching administration I think that's a little bit tricky right I think it depends on where you work um, and then also how do you navigate being able to teach this right because there's I know I have had experience with my administration has not been supportive um, of me teaching in this way um, and it could be like them not knowing or understanding or simply not aligning with like critical thinking right when we think about critical thinking or like social justice or like just being critical um not their um water like what do you call that um watered down watered down version of like critical Mm. thinking right like Mm. um i think that that would be a problem and i know like when it came to observations or like evaluating Mm. me it was it was seen as like i wasn't doing good enough um Mm. And when it comes to parents, I mean, it's all, I think it's context, right? Where are we situated um, when we are teaching about this? So, like, I remember the one instance that I had one parent complain about my being, right? And my teaching was when Trump got elected, right? It was a white parent Mm -hmm. um, who was a Trump supporter and didn't see me as a Latina young teacher, like, good enough to teach her white son, right um nor bringing issues of like social justice um so i think it's all about context and where we are at that really matters on like what is who's sitting in front of you right and what's happening in the outside world um that's gonna allow students to engage or families to engage in the work that i do because if you're if you're like you know from what i understand with the um uh, with the approach of someone like Paulo Freire or the idea of that like libertary education, what you're doing is you're posing a problem for your students, right? You're like observing an issue in their world and letting them kind of um, uh, take it using the tools that you've given them, whether it's in math or whether it's in history. Is that more or less? So like, would you say that in your classroom, um, you got complaints from a parent like that or from your administration about the problems that you're posing, like what the material that you're choosing to, to present to them, or you got um, pushback for letting students like respond to it how they would in their circles? Like, what's the, What are the pieces that you got pushback on? I think the biggest pushback from parents or administration has been how is this really related? We're going to get them college ready, right? Like, why are mm-hmm. you not pushing some like, higher or advanced way of like how is this college related um or or setting them on track to that um and i think to that argument right like the way that i teach still achieves the standards that kids are able to do right and depending on some lessons because i know sometimes in sixth grade i would use lessons that are like high school concepts that they should be doing in high school that my sixth graders were able to do 
Um, and we needed that tool to be able to understand the disparity between like black and brown folks owning homes, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's just like finding ways to articulate why like the way I'm teaching really matters, right? And mm -hmm. to say that it actually still meets the goals that they want to push forward, whether it's like teaching kids the standards or advancing them to be on the college um, ready track. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Um, and yeah, it sucks that <laughs> that kind of education, which I think um, is celebrated in theory, um, gets pushed back in especially low-income schools or schools where black and brown children are the majority because it's not, like you were saying, parents or administration will complain that it's not college preparedness, um, which, as you pointed out, is very arguable um yeah. and um yeah i would so i also wanted to ask like so as you're as you're doing this work and as you've grown in the last like seven years of being a teacher what are the different ways that your students have pushed you to grow um like you oh so for people who aren't who don't know you um you are getting a phd right now right yes i'm in the process of getting a phd so you push yourself yeah so you obviously push yourself to grow yeah. <laughs> and what are ways that your students have helped to push you to grow as well in that process um I think one of the biggest push um you know Fredit talks about proposing not imposing right and it's something that I try to definitely hold myself accountable to um, and even when students may not align with like the information being presented and questioning right because it's like under capitalism right like if we think about it we've been conditioned to think a certain way right and it's not like i'm not making you think my way <laughs> but it's interesting on the way that how they have been shaped even at a young age in middle school right to think the way that they think right and the question is like well what kind of questioning follows for them to really articulate what they're believing right and to put it in the larger context right because sometimes um in this in countries right or in the majority of the of the world um we are taught to be very individualistic right the practice of collectivizing or being a, a collective is not something that we tend to do in this country per se um, so how do you, how do we undo some tendencies, right? Because the kids I know for me were like, so when I tried to do like collective, like collectivizing thinking, right? Or like collectivizing the work that we're doing or doing it together, they were like, well, I'm just going to do my part and then that's it. Like, it's all about me, um, or the mm. sense of competition. So I think in that sense, mm. it really made me push myself, right? As someone who I feel like believes in being a collective and not an individual, um, really pushed mm -hmm. me to rethink, like, what does it mean for students to unlearn some of those tendencies that capitalism teaches us, right? That it's not about the individual, mm -hmm. but it's rather about the collective or the we. Um, and how do we build oh. the thinking of the we, right? Um, which many teachers don't tend to do that, right? Like, even thinking about the classroom roles or classroom expectations, those are usually already created by the teacher or by the school, it's never really like, well, what do the students want? And honestly, for me, it's like, even for that, it's like, we're going to think about this. And as we go throughout the year, we're going to think about what is the classroom rules, right, collectively. Because it's not like we create them at the beginning within a one-week activity or two weeks. And somehow we have the trust to do that, right? That takes time. Mm. Mm. So I, I wanted to know, like, in terms of, um, you know, doing this work, um how 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 is it with with your colleagues like 
because we we asked about parents and students but um how how have your colleagues uh felt about the way you teach um do you have to teach with other people um or do you you know are you able to do things on your own uh and then what is like the talk around the school like do they you know with your colleagues um how are they kind of receiving like the way that you teach um, I think in the past seven years, I had a little bit of everything. I had folks who support it and folks who don't um, and folks who are just genuinely like I know some colleagues have said, like, I feel like I'm a student. Like, why are we not learning about this or why didn't they teach us this? Right. Mm. But I know I think the most the struggle that I have had or there's folks who tend to be like, oh, well, that's really like, you know, it's really awesome that you get to do it. And the kids are so engaged. Um, but I think my biggest struggle was with one teacher in my early years of teaching. Um, she was a social studies and I was a math teacher. And the challenge was, I was also teaching like language arts at that time, one class. And I had said in the beginning that I didn't feel that we had the capacity to actually teach um, a writing unit or argumentative unit on immigration because of the language that the teachers were using, right? Um, and, the, and that language was really like, illegal aliens like and then there's a whole like deconstruction of like why that's problematic and we have come to a Mm -hmm. consensus of why we shouldn't be doing that but eventually Mm -hmm. down the road she decided to teach it her way right very like american and building like this patriotic way of teaching Mm. um about history um and sure enough like one time in math i had to stop because one of my students said hey so and so you are an illegal alien right and to me at that moment mark like like the language that we use in the classroom, we have to be very conscious of what it means because it's not like our mm-hmm. students are not going to use it, right? So I think um, when it comes to colleagues of how do they take it right, um, it's it's different. Um, people have very different stance on the things that I teach, right? Um, whether or not they agree, like I teach also like about Cuba and Venezuela. And if you're talking from certain mm. contexts, like people are like, oh, like mm. socialism and communism, you know, people have very different points of view politically, right? As we are shaped politically. But one thing that I say yeah. is like, I I am not someone that's just apolitical. I am very political and my whole being mm. is political. So that's something that I just can't hide. Um, but I'm willing to struggle with folks. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. Um and so do you feel like, um, do you feel isolated in, in your teaching or do you feel like you have um, some allies um, at your school that you can kind of kind of talk through things with um, right now? Like, how do you how are you feeling like, um, especially in the climate right now, um, we just, mm. you know, we're in a pandemic. Um, we're, we're in two pandemics, actually. So we're we're in a pandemic with COVID-19. But we're also dealing with a racial reckoning um, because of the series of events of recordings of black men um, being murdered by the police um, and also black women. And so it's not that it hasn't happened in the past, but now it's being brought to the forefront and being videotaped um, with cell phones. And so I know that um, George Floyd definitely uh, changed my way of of teaching and impacting me uh watching the eight i think it was like eight minutes of of them killing him on on uh, the recording and so um do you feel 
like that has changed the way um that people are receiving the way that you were teaching um mm-hmm. more or less like what do you what do you think about that mm-hmm. and do you like you said Nina do you have allies do you have people who are supporting you like what does it look like to build community among teachers too um and given the context Nina just put out like those two pandemics right yeah, and I guess I'm trying to think as I hear you speak, Nina, um, about a couple of things, right? Because in terms of whether or not I, I mean, yeah, I'm struggling with the question on do I have allies? Because I think it's important to define that we're all in our in a different stage of our political journey to understand the comp- the complexities of the crisis we find ourselves in, right? I would say that there's three crises actually, right? There's like the mm-hmm. pandemic. There's the health crisis, there's an economic crisis, and then there's also a racial crisis, right? That nothing that just mm-hmm. happened out of nowhere, right? It's been like this country no, no, was this built been like this for a long time. I mean, this country was built <laughs> on on that kind of like we think about like the moment they brought Africans into this country, and then the moment that they terrorized, right, and killed like indigenous folks and took away their land, like right. We can talk to about history in that way. Um, and I think when we, I think if we don't wrestle with the fact of like how white supremacy tendencies and practice and culture has been in school institutions, right? It's hard to say like who your ally is, right? So for example, mm-hmm. right, what does that mean? I have folks who say they're anti-racist and that's great, right? But I think when we put it into the context of like how do we define anti-racist, right? Or how do we define anti-racism, right? For me, I like to say like anti-racism is a part, um, but for me, it's like I have to be willing allies who are with me would be people who are like have an understanding of like the relationship with to capitalism and imperialism. Right. And how it mm-hmm. unfolds into like teaching. Right. So like to me, people who I would call like full, full on allies would be able to understand, for example, the relationship between testing. Right. If we are anti-racist, we would say we would not vote on testing our kids, right, on a, during a pandemic, right? We would vote on ensuring that we, there's like social emotional learning, right, beyond just saying how are you, because that how are you is not enough, right, at this moment. And it's not like we can do a lot to in person, but I think little things in our classrooms can definitely be changed when it comes to priorities. So I don't think I have a concrete answer. I definitely have folks who do support it and who are much more critical, but I would say it's it's also understanding where they're at in like their political journey, right? Like in understanding mm. like the larger picture and not just a piece of it, right? That by mm. saying that I am for like Black Lives Matter, right? Or I stand as an ally, it, it has to be so much more than that. Right. Um, so I think it's like how like do we... a symbolic. Right. So it's symbolic. Like I have this flag and people see it. Right. The Black Lives Matter flag. And um, they're probably like, you know, some people probably like, well, why does she have that? Um, is it because she's black or does it mean much more to her or like what's the context of it? Um, and so I think I, I, I definitely understand that uh, in terms of symbolically people uh, gravitate to uh, tragic events, and so I think that that's one of the one of the uh, you know how the American culture is. It's like these tragic events, and not that it's all connected to systemic and institutional things that have been happening for years. And so, um, and I think it's easier to digest if we push it out as a 
tragic event, what happened to Breonna Taylor or with George Floyd is tragic, but not connecting them as uh, systemic uh, racism that has been going on for since this country was founded. And so I think that that's something that, you know, all teachers have to wrestle with. And like you said, it's it's where we at on our um, racial journey, anti-racism journey. Um, and so going based off of that and, and the, you know, you just said a mouthful of stuff. Um, what would you want other teachers to be thinking about and doing different right now? So you said something about testing mm-hmm. uh, and, and not, you know, desiring a test, 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 prep the kids to death uh, at this moment. So is there anything else that you would want to, you know, say to teachers that, you know, this is what you should be thinking about right now in this in this moment? Um, and then it should be impacting your teaching, not just for this moment, but it should have a lasting impact on your teaching. And, and then what is it? that you feel like some immediate thing, you know, that people should be doing right now, like right now to like address the concerns, you know, of our times that, that we're living in kind of like right now. So. Um, that's a hard, I mean, I, I have a personal view on things, right. Um, I think, and it's a hard question to answer as concrete things, but one of the biggest things is also like holding one, like we're, as teachers, right, we're also struggling. <laughs> um, there's a lot of demands um, when we think about um, the expectation of what we have to do, right, by whatever admin gives us to do or whatever things that we're all hold accountable to. And then there's also like the family aspect. But at the same time, I think as educators, we have a responsibility, right, to wrestle with what kind of political being we're coming into the classroom. And what do I mean by that? I think the biggest thing that I mean by that is we don't exist in isolation of what's happening outside of the world, right? We we are living it. Um, how it impacts us is obviously different, whether it's based on the class, the race, like the gender, the gender sexuality, et cetera. But I think we do have a responsibility to wrestle with the so many things that are happening at once in this in this country, right, and in the world, right? I feel like during the past year, we had so many things happen, happen at once, and it's like, how do we wrestle with trying to get students to understand it, right? Um, so I think for me, it's like being accountable to even, for example, the... I know like one thing that I'm shifting is even like rethinking how we teach this quote unquote American holiday of like Thanksgiving, right? And I say quote unquote, right? Because indigenous folks or native folks here call it like a day of mourning, right? How do we struggle with that history when we really don't want to put it, right? Like how do we understand people, teachers in Mississippi trying to fight for a curriculum that really teaches about an alternative history, right? An alternative, not not Mm -hmm. even an alternative, but just like another reality of history and not just like Mm -hmm. a white version of history that is very um that dismisses really a lot of the things that actually happen and we haven't wrestled with that and that culture of like avoidance right like how do you wrestle with other teachers that bring stuff up to you whether it's racist or whatever whether it's your teaching or whether it's something you said and not take it personal right or not cry Mm -hmm. about it because then that's the other thing like people Mm -hmm. just cry when they get like hey, let's, let's struggle through this. And it's either crying or that's not it. It's seen as a personal attack. But how do we really wrestle with, like, what we are doing? Because we do have a lot mm-hmm. of impact when it comes to, like, the kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. And so, 
Something you said before too, which was like, um, you know, you don't come into your classroom as apolitical. And I, I come from the perspective that I like, I, I don't think it's possible to be apolitical. Like when you call yourself apolitical, it's like what I think it was Howard Zinn or maybe someone before him said, you can't be neutral on a moving train. Like this train is moving. And if you say you're neutral, you're still moving with it. If you're against it, you're going to do what you can to stop it. Right. So everyone is making a choice, even if it's to not be quote unquote political. Um, you're still being political because everything is our context is and you were saying that um, so being being political in like school structures that are did I understand you right when you said that school structures are sort of a conduit of white supremacy or did I misunderstand that can you can you explain that um, what you what you see is the connection between like our institutions of education and white supremacy as like sort of acculturation or like what what your what your take is on that and considering like what you're asking teachers to do to like really grapple with this um can you mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that's a good question i mean i think like one of the ways that i can think about it is like when schooling started it was not necessarily to educate people that look like me right it wasn't to educate mm-hmm. the black the indigenous the brown folk right or any other person Um, it was to continue to sustain um, some type of um, power right where many of us were excluded until changes throughout history happened and even till now right um, we don't have the same level of access or opportunity to even be in certain positions of power so I would argue that like if we are in educational spaces and for me, like I believe in public educations and public schools. Right. But I believe that they should be liberatory spaces for communities to self-determine what um, the vision is and not buy into right this competitive capitalist way of thinking that someone one has to be better than the other. Right. Um, and that comes into like how we teach kids, for example, standardized testing. Right. Great system. Right. Um, all of this different opportunity, uh, this like practices that are in schooling places or even attendance, like how messed up is it to even celebrate kids who have better attendance when in majority of black and brown communities, the attendance issue has to be related with access, right? Whether it's families having access to internet, having access to um, electricity or being able to be in in a home, right? I think that to me backs the question to say like if we want to do anti-racist work is this practice really anti-racist right um so how do we start to question all of these different things that different schools are doing to quote unquote what right like i think that's the contradiction like let's motivate kids to do this right um be in school be on time etc but then it dismisses completely the challenges and like the real lived experience of folks um yeah yeah, and so I'm thinking, you know, just listening to you and um, and trying to think about what what I kind of learned uh, from this conversation uh, with you so far is, you know, what struck me was the wrestling with like how to interact and, and, and try to dismantle or build um build, you know, a, a more inclusive or different type of curriculum with, with other, te- with other teachers. So, uh, it's kind of hard to, um, for me, I was, I was just thinking, you know, being at the school, um, and trying to, to wrestle with it, 
uh, where you're 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 trying to say, okay, um, we we need to put this learning in a context, right? So, and and I hear you when you said that. And so now, at first, when I first started teaching, I was like more of a, you know, um, here's all this canonical science. Every kid needs to learn it so they can be successful in college and all of that, and not really, you know, putting it in a context that kids could actually be able to remember it later and be able to use it and apply it to their everyday lives. And so um, now, since I have like really bought into that way of adding that context to my teaching, what what's happening now is when I present the context to other people, and then I feel like it's really aligned, <laughs> when it's really aligned and intertwined, and I'm teaching the skills and everything, I feel like, um, they're like, so why do we have to do this? Um, is this really necessary? Um, and they would rather present a more, like you say, a banking system uh, way of learning, especially for science. And so I, I'm, I'm just at this kind of, I, I know my students need to know the canonical science um, but I, and the skills and stuff, but I also want them to know that it is connected to bigger things. Like in the mm-hmm. future, they're going to have to make decisions about energy choices that is not going to destroy the earth and cause climate change um and and they need to be educated and be able to talk about it in that political context and so then what do we do uh when you like you said you gotta if you're teaching with other people you you have to kind of try to figure out and, and, and struggle with them and be open to what they're thinking and so it's like I'm trying my best to not be this, you know, I've been teaching for 25 years. This is the best approach um, way and just laying down the law and being like, this is what we should do. So that's, I think that's what I'm struggling with. And I think for me, the big takeaway is we're starting like a new unit for me uh, for at my school. And so I am going to try my best to not like, like you said, cry or, uh, or um, and try to present it in a way to them that hopefully will make sense that it's important that the students know know it in this context and not just this this banking way of just transmitting. Uh, here's how you do nuclear energy. Here's how this works. Here's how that works. So once they learn that, then what do they apply it to? So I'll, um, that's what I'm kind of thinking about is kind of wrestling with that with the teachers that I work with. Uh, at my school. And so I don't know, Celeste, what have you um, (laughs) been listening to? Yeah. So Uh, one of the things that I like, I'm both wrestling with, and I kind of have like a question, because I would love to hear you go deeper on this, Jessica, Um, when you because so I loved what you said about um, I loved what you said about how like each teacher when you're thinking about allies, we have to be honest about the fact that each teacher is at their own place in their political process like we we are all developing as like, not just educators who learn like content and content delivery, but also as human beings (laughs) in a world full of crises. Um, And so we're developing our own analysis and all that. Um, And you also talked about collectivizing knowledge and collectivizing learning and like building trust in a classroom so that even like in my classroom, I do that 
kind of thing where at the beginning we build collective agreements that that end up being our norms for the for the class and I'll return to those if we go off the rails at some point and just be like hey this is what we agreed to do y'all think you can still commit to it whatever but I liked how you said like you can't do that in one week you have to build relationships you have to build trust um, and I'm thinking about that along with the, the piece that you said about collectivizing learning and collectivizing knowledge doing that in a way where it's not just students collectivizing knowledge amongst themselves but also putting the teacher in the mix so that our knowledge like we're building knowledge with them it's a collective process I'm not the like holder of answers who like eventually they'll arrive at those answers and then I'll applaud to them like like I guess um uh I, I want to, this, it feels abstract. Um, and I'm wondering if you have <laughs> an example that would make it more concrete, but like, I'm, I'm, I really am like enamored with that idea of us as educators thinking about ourselves, um, on a daily basis, like, to, and, and like, um, we're told that this is not how we are. This is not how we're supposed to show up in the classroom. We're supposed to be authorities, mm -hmm. but on a daily basis, challenging ourselves to think of ourselves as, learners in this process as well with our students that we can learn from our students um, if we if we're doing this right and I wonder if you have ideas about um, how we can like what's something that for example I could implement I teach Spanish um, what's something that I could implement in my classroom you think that um, or or any teacher you don't have to tell me my <laughs> lesson plan for tomorrow but <laughs> <laughs> but like what's what's something that you think like that we could challenge ourselves as teachers to do to to collectivize in earnest that process yeah i mean i think there's different opportunities for us to um to do to start um i think one is questioning like how much of a right one is you have to struggle with yourself right like how have you been yes. conditioned with like being very individual, right? I mean, you, you look at school settings and teachers are competing to see who has the best scores sometimes, right? Um, mm, the reach scores mm, yeah. or like yes. the scores, right? And then Oof. teachers are pitted against each other and determine their worth by who has had the kids who have um, scored better. Or, mm. I mean, there's mm -hmm. poor language of like even teachers saying are like, I have the high kids, the low kids, the medium kids, right? which is problematic um, in itself. Yeah. So I think, yeah. how, do we, how do we imagine, how do we allow students to develop? Because students have also been conditioned, right? Like, just like teachers, you're supposed mm. to come in, you have the power, you have the say, you do whatever you want, it's your classroom. Um, but how do you allow students to be able to question, right, authority in a way that's respectful, mm. but that allows them to also say, like, actually, this is something we would like to see or this is something we need to change, right? I think that culture takes a lot of time because kids have been conditioned. Like, I'm telling you, my kids, by the time they get to eighth grade, have already been conditioned. Like, if they had this one teacher who was really strict and, like, just shut them off. Oh, yeah. It's hard to to undo a lot of that within a week, right? Even if you just say, well, you know, like we're going to co-construct it and we're going to do this together and it's going to be different because kids have already been conditioned, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, so I think that's one, like analyzing really like what kind of teachers have they had? Has it been teachers who have been, right? Like, I think there's a balance of like, you know, for me, it's like I am, I'm disciplined, right? Like, and I am also like, I am also caring and nurturing for my students, right? Like my kids will not disrespect me or they'll know what we're doing, um, but it's never built on like disrespect for one another. Um, so I think that's one. And I think the other thing is like, how can we change things in the classroom, right? That will allow for students to actually support one another. So for example, jobs mm. for me, like 
I have to follow up with this kid who's not doing their work, right? Like, or this student that's missing all these assignments or didn't like, et cetera, et cetera. It's like I build students, I support students to build practices and how do you check in with each other, right? Like even now during remote learning, it's like I have students, quote unquote, who are leaders, but their role is to remind their students, right, on a weekly basis, like send this email to this list of kids, Um, and remind them that they have work. And if they're Hmm. struggling, let them know that we're here to support them, right? So so beautiful. Oh, yeah, that sounds awesome. That's that's great. Yeah, so it's just like little things that we can start doing. And in the classroom, it will look definitely significantly different, right? Um, And I think it also depends on like, so even reimagining like quote-unquote jobs as some teachers do, right? Um, Ugh. Yes. And making it more collective and res- and getting like the buying of like, if you don't do it, it's because you're just not doing it or you're lazy or whatever. But it's like, let's pr- do study halls where it's collective, right? Pair students who are able to support each other and say like, this is like a practice quiz. You're doing it together. And it should be um, mm-hmm. like even changing. And it's not about who's like, quote unquote, the, the whatever word you want to use, like the smartest or who gets it faster, right? Like, mm-hmm. In my math class, I I know I am very intentional about not building about who's getting the answer right or who's faster, um, but rather like how are we supporting each other? And I mean, with the online setting, it's a whole other challenge as many of us have never really had yeah. the experience to teach it. But I know in person, um, things would look very different in the math classroom to support each other's learning. So just by listening to that, I'm I'm probably gonna throw my adult struggling out the window, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna think about the takeaway of um of trying to collectivize you know my my class with my students more and mm-hmm. trying to like build those um that those pods of learning learners together mm. to where they can support each other. And I had thought about this actually um, at the beginning of the, the school year, I was think I was anticipating that we would go back and that I would put the kids together in pods so that they could be in the group so that if we did have to transition back out, that they could, you know, like you said, call each other. But that like, since I've been teaching and enthralled in all this, it totally slipped my mind. Um, and now when you just talked about that, it, it reminded me of that that was something that I was trying to think about because um, I what I was able to do it last year with the uh, remote because the kids already knew each other. You know what I'm saying? So they were, I was like, Jenna, where is so-and-so? You know, where is this person? Where is this mm-hmm, person? You know, mm-hmm, and so right. they could do that because they actually knew them in person. Yeah, and so yeah. I was able to like do it like that. And so I was like, oh, I have to make sure that I make that even a tighter bond if, mm. you know, if we go back. And, and so now that you said that, I think that that is going to be my takeaway um, yeah. uh, to kind of work on that because struggling with teachers, that's going to be uh, for the rest of my career. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so yeah, I think yeah. building that collective uh, responsibility mm-hmm, with um, mm-hmm. with with uh, my students, depending on each other, um, mm-hmm. and not just me as the source and me telling them, yeah. you know, you need to do your work, you need to do this, you need to do that, but them yeah. holding each other accountable. I think that that would be that's awesome to think about it in that way. So yeah, so yeah, um, so. That's so beautiful. And I think that, like, for sure, I will try to do that as well. My students are about to start reading a book. Um, little do they know. <laughs> um, uh, but it's, 
<laughs> um, but uh, like having having those pods, like you called it, Nina, too. Like I love that, um, uh, so that they can support each other. And I think the piece that is sometimes hard for me to, uh, with that is that it, it requires that I relinquish control. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that I yes, trust yes, that students. Yes, yes. Which, which, like in teaching, like I don't know about y'all, but as a teacher, I feel like I have to control so many details that when I stop controlling it, I feel like like things aren't going to go well. It just it turns me into like a, a like control freak in the weirdest and like least healthy ways and it also but like doing that also requires I imagine Jessica you probably have experience with this requires that students take ownership over what's happening um, and that builds that kind of collectivism that you're talking about and the other thing that I really wanted to bring into this too is um, as a Spanish teacher and someone who has had experience learning about the situations in Cuba and in Venezuela that you brought up before I definitely have colleagues who when they want to talk about like human rights crises they will talk about Venezuela way before they'll talk about Honduras and Honduras happens to have like a lot more um, it's like it is the reason that the term banana republic exists mm -hmm. the Honduras and Guatemala because US imperialism and literally like Chiquita Banana and the United Fruit Company like made it life, life a living hell there for a lot of um, small-scale farmers um, but people don't talk about that history because it's not convenient to learn about what is convenient to learn about is Venezuela and Cuba where there's um, not like capitalism doesn't reign in the same way um, and the U.S. Uh, like imperial project hasn't reigned in the same way, and so that's where the crisis is, and that's how our media produces it for us. And I have had the privilege of learning from people of a different narrative, and I think you're bringing into this conversation, Jessica, the idea that you know if we're going to talk about things from an anti-racism lens in this country, we should challenge ourselves to build the layer of anti-imperialism too. That we should bring into that conversation white supremacy as it exists in an imperial project, um, not just something that happens, um, uh, you know, in our, so that the media covers in ways that we can be more conscientious about, but things that happen, that were not, violence that we're not meant to see that happens overseas, um, uh, but happens with our tax dollars in the same way. So mm -hmm. my, one of my things that I'm going to take away too is bringing that because um, my students deserve to learn a different perspective, even if parents get mad sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and I yeah, think, definitely. and I think for me too, just going back to um, what you were saying, Jessica, about the bigger picture, um, and since we're gonna get into some type of energy stuff, just looking at um, the environmental racism around, mm -hmm. you know, the just the production of energy and what communities suffer uh, because they live in those vicinities uh, mm -hmm. where where that energy is being uh, produced. Um, where the power plants are, where the waste is, and all that stuff. And so I think that that's, you know, I, I, had, I hadn't even put that uh, in the unit to make that connection to the larger thing that's there, mm. um, the mm. environmental racism that happens. So thank you also mm. for reminding me about that. Um, mm. And so, mm. again, my two takeaways, to be perfectly clear about what my two takeaways would be, is to definitely connect my um my new unit to the larger political things that's going on like environmental racism and then also to make my class more of, of a collective um and getting my students involved more and helping to uh, each other be successful in class and so th those are my two clear takeaways mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. Celeste what are yours can, what are I, yours, Celeste? can yeah. I jump in and say one thing or two actually yes. Yes. So I think one thing also like in terms of like collectivizing right one of the things is like even in the journey of like because I've attempted to do this so many times uh, but one of the biggest like 
tool or framework that I really pulled from was on this article um, called Combating Liberalism, right, that Mao wrote. Um, and it, I mean, this is a very political, um, yeah. lengthy article, but there are two points that I frame, like, right, when we struggle in order to collectivize, right, we have to, one, build unity, but we also have to struggle, which is something Amilcar Cabral talks about, right? Um, and how do we build the ability to struggle with one another, right? Because it's easier to just let things slide, right? It's like, you know what? I don't want to fight. I don't want to get in and on this. I'll let things slide. But that, that is actually very problematic, right? That is kind of what we are taught to kind of let just let shit slide. Um, I did not. I didn't ask if I can curse or not, but <laughs> no, you're fine. No, you're oh, fine. please, we're we're, we're grown. <laughs> Yeah, this is good. This is but I think I think that one point on like being able to not let things slide, and then also being very principled and and acknowledging whether one when a, somebody does something wrong, whether it's a teacher or whether it's student, right? Because even within students, there's like power dynamics, right? But how do you get kids to be able to even challenge when you know that there's clear power dynamics and get kids to understand that what they have done is actually wrong? Um, and even that takes such a long moment to be able to get mm -hmm. to that point. And I know for me in my classroom, it took one of my students calling me the B word and then having a circle right after it, right? Because I couldn't teach. Mm -hmm. um, because many students, wow. I mean, and this student was like, I mean, you know, at the end we were able to work it out, but you know, he also had to, he was struggling with other things, right? But the fact that it was not the response, right, of somebody who would just say, I want him to have a detention, have something, right? It was more like, well, collectively, we all saw this unfold and it has implications. And I understand that right now you don't want to be holding, be hold accountable, but we want to let you yeah. know that this is not acceptable, like in our classroom setting. Right. So I think that yeah. that is one piece, right, that you we have to wrestle with. How do we start changing the ways that we have been trained? Right. Even in, in education institutions. Right. They do all this like grit bullshit. Like it's all about grit. Like you just have to work or have a growth mindset. <sighs> Um, which is so problematic in so many a ways. Growth mindset. Woo. Yeah. So I mean, I think, or like how people are being influenced by all this pin interest or Pinterest, whatever, however you say that word. <laughs> um, ideas, right? Not to say that they're all bad, but I think like we have to be questioning more. And I think as teachers, critical of it, critical of exactly, what, what we're consuming. So, so what are we consuming? Right, yeah, right. yeah. I, I think that but that's I, that's that's definitely important. Um, and, and, and what 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 do we really need and what do kids really need in this moment? And it's just you can't just teach like you normally would, because mm -hmm. this this moment is going to change teaching forever for some, mm -hmm. not for all, but for some it will. And I and I love that. Like, I think it's I, what I like really want to hold on to what what I heard from you, Jessica, which is that like we have to be really principled and like know that if if something happens that deserves unpacking it deserves time and we might have like i i think one of the things i've definitely in the past like failed to address something in the moment either because i was like dead tired um totally burned out or like was really thinking about like other um uh like uh, things that were pulling my attention like whether it was like a t an assessment i had to give or like something like feeling like something else was more important and like you're saying being principled to know that this is the most important work to do that struggle to like slow it down to let it to like when it gets messy like 
like coming back to that collective process of like what what like how do we like harm has happened how do we repair this harm like what what does that look like for us to like maintain a community and like do better and learn to do better um and i think when when you put it that way and when i as a teacher don't have to have all the answers when it's something that i can come to the students about and we can build the answer together that that almost makes me more hopeful that's like and and it's it's almost like less intimidating to know that like I don't have to be like oh okay here's the procedure when someone uses the b word in my classroom no it's like we're gonna figure out what it is together um yeah that's uh, yeah I always tell people there's no strategy strategy to deal with racism or deal with um Mm. things you know that may go on in your classroom uh if you're trying Mm -hmm. to not be you know buy into this the schooling you know the discipline mm-hmm. the dress code the this the that um mm-hmm. what what are you really buying into and bringing into your classroom with you um and if you are following this uh step by step you know this happens wait wait let me look up that step you know then right, it's, right. it's 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 just going to be a problematic situation for you and the mm-hmm. students and it just won't work out well. But a lot of times you do have to wrestle with whatever the school policies are that are being imposed mm. on you too. So it's like a lot mm. of wrestling and struggling going on, like Jessica said. But I, I do want to take this time right now, Jessica, to thank you so yes. much for thank being our first so interview. And uh, I think it I think it, it went well. Um, and and uh, I hope it did. Um, I appreciate and, uh, you both. And yeah, oh, so no, this is so so rich and so like literally tomorrow, I'm my lesson is going to be different tomorrow because of this conversation. It's I'm yeah. just really excited and grateful to you. Um, do you have any like last things that you want to say to anyone listening to this, or that you want Nina and us and myself to know? Yeah, I think one of the other important aspects I was saying is like you know in the classroom we have so much power in terms of like the content, but I think there's also the responsibility of us to be active participants um, in the school. Like you know when we talk about like the policies that schools follow, whether it's uniform, certain testing things, right? There's roles that we as union members can actually play, right? There's the PPC, mm-hmm. right? There's the PPLC when it comes to curriculum and budgeting, and then there's also the local school council, right? And depending on the school and what position the school is at with their LSC, like LSC makes a lot of very important decisions, right? So if you want to get funding for certain things like anti-racist training or restorative or transformative justice, whichever um, thing you want, it's like there's a role for us to actually say if we want to advocate, like we cannot just be stuck in doing it in silos or in our own classrooms, right? We have to definitely expand. So I would say like the other role is like look into partnering with folks who are in those different positions, right? And I think Mm -hmm. we have to definitely be far more organized in the process of like collectivizing, but like trying to really organize is going to be key to changing a lot of what we're doing. All right. I I definitely agree with that. So again, thank you so much for being our first interview. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and um, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna let you free to take care of your children. <laughs> yeah, thank uh, you. And and we'll see you soon. I'm sure. Definitely. Thank <laughs> you so much, Jessica. We so thank appreciate you. you. Likewise. Bye. Thank you all. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Pushing Praxis Dialogues for Transforming Teaching. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we encourage you to like and share this content with your community. Follow this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Also get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or email us at pushingpraxis at gmail.com. Check out our website at pushingpraxis.org.